Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. Relationships are so important, and yet they can be so difficult. The pandemic, social media, and a divided country have not helped. How do we develop new relationships or strengthen the ones that we have? How do we repair ones that seem to be broken? Listen to this week's talk from the series Through Thick and Thin as we explore ways to develop the kinds of friendships that will enrich our lives. Well, good morning. I love that song, The uh, Debt Has Been Paid in Full. And that's why we can know where we stand with God if we put our faith in Christ, because He fully paid the debt. It's completed. The work is completed. And through Christ, then we have eternal life. Before I begin today, I'd like to just take a minute and pray. Every once in a while, I do a talk that I think could be a little bit more challenging than others. And this may be one of those. It may not be. But let's just take a minute and pray before we jump into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you've loved us so much, not only to send us your Son, but to give us your Word. Lord, you have laid out through the pages of your Word what it means to live and walk in the path of life. And Lord, your ways, we just acknowledge your ways are the best. And although we don't always recognize it, Lord, you are good and right, and your ways are life-changing. So speak to us through a time today, Lord, I ask. Help us to apply what we're going to talk about to our lives. Whatever that might look like, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago, I was checking into a large hotel, and there were, I think, three, three people there at the front desk who were hotel receptionists or reservationists, and, and we were all queued in one line, and so when there was an opening up at the front, you know, the next person would go and that kind of thing. There were two women in front of me, both professionally dressed, both of the same nationality. And as we were getting close to my turn to go to the front, I, I wondered, are they together or separate? Because I didn't want to cut in front of one of them. And so I very kindly asked, are you two together? And immediately, one of these women got as mad as anyone I'd probably seen in a year. She was furious. How dare you ask that question? Is it what? Because we're women? Because we're the same nationality? And I just kind of stood there, and she went on lecturing me just a little bit. And when she was done, I said, it was just a question. I was trying to be nice. I thought in my mind, though, you've got a chip on your shoulder, a really big chip on your shoulder. But I realized that maybe there are things that she's been through in her life. I don't know her story. Maybe she's just had a bad day or whatever. Maybe there are reasons why she responded to me the way she did on this occasion, but it was wrong. The way she responded to me was wrong. Had I responded differently to her, this could have been a mess. Now, we live in a society right now where these kind of things are happening a lot, where people get offended over little things. And, and it's, it's not good. I mean, even I, I, I debated whether to tell this opening story because I thought, oh, well, you know, people might get upset that I'd even tell a story like this. And then I realized if they do, that's the problem. We have to be able to talk about things. I think people these days are triggered by the word triggered. They're triggered about everything, and suddenly it's just hard to have peace in a world like this. Now, the problem with this woman's response to me and other responses like that is that anger stirs up anger. Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived, and in the book of Proverbs, he talks about this subject over and over and over and over again. 
In Proverbs 29, 22, he wrote, an angry man stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered man, and that can be translated a master of rage, which describes some people. An angry man stirs up conflict. A hot-tempered man increases rebellion. The word rebellion there can be translated sin. It's one of the words that's used for sin. Sin is rebellion. But it can also mean rebellion, as in the sense that when people are angry, they stir up other people, and it ends up leading to a greater problem. Now, in our culture today, you know, video clips are just everywhere on social media, people getting so, so angry just so out of control, angry. You know, when I was growing up, we'd say, don't blow a gasket. Some of you don't even know what a gasket is, so I'm probably aging myself a little bit. Don't blow a gasket, like you're going to explode. But that's the world in which we live. Unfortunately, I think it's going to get worse. Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3. He said, but know this, Difficult times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self. Maybe that's the starting point because everybody loves themselves so much that if you cross into their area there in any way, they just love themselves so much. How dare you suddenly? Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. It means you can't reconcile with some people. They don't have the humility to be able to just say, I may have been wrong. You can't reconcile with some. Slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. And then Paul goes on for two more verses, and I'm not going to read it. But I can tell you that I've seen every one of those things displayed in our culture in the last six months, every single one of them. And frankly, the one that's been most surprising to me has been the blasphemy one because I have seen some things online, blasphemous things against the creator of the universe. And I'm thinking, boy, 10 years ago, nobody would have done that. Just horrible things, but this is the culture in which we live. Now, what I want us to understand here today is that we're called to be something different. In fact, to the degree that the culture is changing in these negative ways, it's an opportunity for us to to stand out, to be different, to be a light in this world, to reflect our God. James wrote in James 1, 19 and 20, he said, My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Our anger just gets in the way. It doesn't accomplish good. Now, this isn't to say, by the way, that all anger is wrong. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul wrote, be angry. Some things should make us angry, but it's what we do with them. He said, be angry, but don't sin. James says, be slow to get angry, which is not what I experienced at that hotel room or that lobby area there. Now, recently, I've been working through, as I read my Bible, Almost every day, and I was, I've been working through the Bible, I came to Matthew, and I came to what's called uh, by Christians the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And I knew I was going to be doing, you know, talking about relationships and all, and as I read the Sermon on the Mount this time, about two weeks ago, I was, I was surprised at how incredibly relevant it was in our culture today. It was radical then and relevant then, but I think it's even more radical and relevant today. And I want to suggest that by the grace of God and with the help of God's Spirit who lives within a believer, we can be something different. 
My takeaway is we should be the Sermon on the Mount. There's a certain sermon that we preach with our lives. And I was just surprised at how many of these references in the Sermon on the Mount have to do with relationships and, and getting it right with other people and loving other people well. It really, really matters. Now, today I want to look at some examples of this. And when I talk about being the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to understand that if you're a Christian here today, that you're part of two kingdoms. You're part of the kingdom of this world. So you live in this world. You're you live in a, a country or whatever. You're, you're a citizen of this world, and there are certain laws related to living in that country, in that world. And then if you're a Christian, you're also a citizen of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And Jesus, his main message as he walked the earth was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was coming to introduce this thing called the kingdom of heaven. Now, one day, the kingdom of heaven is going to be a physical kingdom where Jesus is going to reign on the earth. But in the meantime, it's an invisible kingdom where where Jesus, through his spirit, lives in the hearts of his people. And so God is getting things done through his people, through the church in the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus was doing with the Sermon on the Mount was, was spelling out what it means to be part of the kingdom of heaven. What do citizens in that kingdom look like? This, by the way, was exactly what happened in the Old Testament with Moses. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus is presenting himself as the new Moses in a sense. In the Old Testament, the people were given the law, remember, from Mount Sinai, and it was to spell out what people who know God should look like so that the whole world could look upon this nation and say, wow, you're just so different, and it would point people to their creator. Well, Jesus is doing exactly the same thing here. He says, well, the kingdom of heaven, it's supposed to be like this. And when followers of Jesus Christ put these things into practice, it makes a huge difference. We point to our Father in heaven. So let's look at some of the things he said in the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, the gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. The gentle are blessed, they're the ones that will come out ahead, you know. They're the ones that will inherit the earth. Now, some versions, maybe most versions, translate this, the meek will inherit the earth. And I prefer that. That the meek are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Why? Well, when you, when you think of being gentle, I don't know what image comes to your mind, but I think of somebody that's just kind of a nice person that goes through life. They're just gentle. But the word that's used here is a word that really has to do with how you handle adversity, especially when it comes from someone else. The idea is being meek. You, you don't have to respond the way they responded to you. It's a different kind of... Response. This was a word that was used of, of horses in biblical times, a wild horse that had been tamed. And so while the, while the horse was wild and had all that energy, it, it, it couldn't be useful for anything. But once they, once they trained it, it, it was amazing strength under control. Jesus demonstrated this strength as he looked at Pilate and Herod. He was called meek there. He looked at both of them, and they're charging him with this and that, and and Jesus, of course, could have told them both to go through their eternal destiny. I mean, this was the creator of the heavens and the earth, the judge of all, all is standing listening to these guys like they're important or something. He could have looked at them and, and sent them on their way, but instead it says he didn't even speak. He did not defend himself. That's what meekness does. It says, I don't have to defend myself. Now, there's a reason why you don't have to which we'll talk about it more in a minute, but it has to do with the fact that because we're people of faith, 
we recognize that God will equalize things. He's, he, he will take care of things so we don't have to fight the battle. But Jesus starts by talking here about meekness. Dr. Vincent describes this word. He says it means as toward God. In other words, if you're meek toward God, it, it accepts his dealings without murmur or resistance as absolutely good and wise. So bad things happen to you instead of shaking your fist at God. Meekness means God's got a plan here. And we just settle back in. We're trusting in his sovereignty. As for humanity, it accepts opposition, insult, and provocation. Meekness means I don't feel the need to fight back. I don't have to fight back. But let's continue reading. Matthew 5, 9. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. Now, obviously, it's talking about sons and daughters of God, but I want to mention that the word sons here is a strategic word in this verse because the word that's used here, the Greek word, is a word that refers to an adult son who is now of an age to inherit everything his father owns when the father passes away. If the, if the father dies while the child is below a certain age, he, he doesn't have any of the rights. No rights, property doesn't belong to that child. You have to be of a certain age. And so what's being described here, blessed are peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God. It means fully grown Adult children who can receive all the blessings of our Creator. That's what he's talking about here. Now, notice that the verse says peacemakers are blessed. It doesn't say peacekeepers. In other words, I take this to mean that as Christians, we take the initiative to cross over the bridge to the other person. I don't, just, I don't expect them necessarily to come to me as a Christian. I take the initiative I try to be at peace with everyone. Now, it's not always possible. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 18, he said, if possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Well, again, that's not, that's not always possible. But we can do the best we can because as Christians, we have the Spirit of God living within us and the fruit or the evidence of God's Spirit in our lives is love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. And so as we're walking in step with God's Spirit, it allows us to react differently than other people. Then, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned us ahead of time that we would face insults and persecutions. Now, the question is, what do you do? What do Christians now do when they're persecuted or insulted? I think there's a response Christians often have, and it's, I don't think it's the best response. So let's read what Jesus said. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This would be ridiculous if there were no God. Why on earth would I put up with persecution or insults? But as Christians, we realize that the story is not over yet. This is why I don't, I don't have to fight back. I realize that one day God's going to make things right. So I don't need to get mad. I don't need to get even. Now, this was a truth. Even in the Old Testament, righteous people of the Old Testament struggled with this. It's in like the Psalms and other places. They call out to God. Why is it that it seems like those who are wicked thrive? And ones like me, we're just suffering all the time. We're going through all these hard times and mistreatment, and they're flourishing, and, and I'm not. And, 
And then many of these writers come to the conclusion before they're done with their chapter, they conclude, yeah, but this story's not over yet. David writes, then I perceived their end. I knew where things were going to go. And this allows us to view it differently. Jesus then said in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. I have to admit, I was a little surprised to see the word moron in my Bible. I didn't remember that. It's not a word I typically use. But this is how sometimes we talk to other people. Jesus, of course, is making the point that murder is not just murder if it's carried out. There can be a murder of the heart. It starts with anger in the heart. These terms that are used, these, these are abusive terms. Like one of them is raka. It's an Aramaic word that means empty head. You call someone an empty headed. One of the other words is the word fool. You call someone a, a fool, and it says if you, if you use that term, that you should stand before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, with 70 individuals. That's how offensive this is because it's so... You know what it shows? The hate, it shows hatred in the heart. It shows you despise someone created in the image of God. That's what you call some you empty-headed idiot. You know, you, you despise that person in your heart, and this leads to other sins. Now, having anger in your heart is not the same as actually killing someone, but the seed of it. He's talking about the seed of this here. And I think we need to be careful about this. Now, this particular couple of verses, one thing that is a little interesting about this one is that he's talking about speaking to a fellow brother or sister in this way. You're not to call a brother or sister, you know, fool or empty-headed or moron, whatever. You're not to do that with a brother or sister. The other references don't specify that we're talking about brothers and sisters. And to me, that speaks to the importance of, of how much Jesus valued unity within the body of Christ, how we treat one another. And part of the reason it's just for Christians is that in the Old Testament, people actually were called fools. You read Proverbs, and you read time and time again, the fool is this way, the wise person. People that don't know Christ may be fools, but it never does apply to Christians. We're not that. And we need to watch what goes on in our heart toward other people because we despise people in our heart, and then it reflects itself in our words and in our actions toward them. But let's focus on one last section, and this one is the longest. I kind of wish I'd broken it in two. But the subject is the same, so I'll read it, and then we'll tear it apart a little bit. You've heard, I'm sorry, it's verses 38 to 42, Matthew 5, 38 to 42. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. 
For he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect here, by the way, doesn't mean sinless. It means mature. It means complete. Don't be lacking in this regard is what this means. Now, this particular section of all the parts of the Sermon on the Mount, this has more misunderstandings than any of them. I think people misunderstand a lot of different things here. For example, when we read about turning the other cheek or loving your enemies, some people use this passage as a way of saying that Jesus was a pacifist, that he was against all war, for example. Now, there may be passages in the Bible that point to that idea, but it's not here. This should not be used to make that point. This is talking about your relationships with other people, how you treat other people. And it really matters. It's, he's not addressing here national defense. Not talking now, I still think if, if countries could learn to forgive, it would be a better situation, but that's not what's being talked about here. And then there are other misunderstandings. Let me read verses 38 and 39. Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Are you kidding? Is that really what it means? If someone slaps you, you say, oh, over here now, come back over here. Uh, the answer is yes and no. It's yes and no. You say, wait a minute, it looks like it's kind of clear. It says, no, people misunderstand this. When I was growing up, I had the perspective that because of this passage, that all fighting was wrong. And so when there was a bully at the school that was after me, my freshman year of high school, I not only was afraid that he'd succeed in beating me up, but I, be I believed that it, was, it would be wrong for me to defend myself or that if he hit me on the right cheek, I was supposed to turn the other one. That is not what's talking about here. The subject that he is addressing here is retaliation. He's, he's talking about don't, don't retaliate against those who wrong you. That's what the issue is. He's not talking about not defending yourself. Now, let me explain this just a little bit more because, again, he's not talking about self-defense. He's talking about don't get revenge. In fact, my version says the, the expression don't resist an evildoer can be translated don't retaliate against an evildoer. Jesus began this section by quoting from Exodus chapter 21 that says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So that's the word of God. But in Exodus chapter 21, what God was doing is laying out what justice looks like. This is how justice should take place in the land of Israel. If somebody takes your eye, the just penalty is an eye for an eye. And I think all of us would say, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense, you know. If you punch me, I punch you, you know, I mean, it's just an eye for an eye. Well, this was meant to be how justice was to be executed, but what was happening in Jesus' day is that people were quoting this as an excuse to get even with people. And so someone would hit someone, and they'd hit the person back, and then they'd say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and they used the Exodus passage to justify getting even. That's what Jesus is talking about. He say, no, in fact, not only don't get even with the person, but even be willing to hit, be hit a second time before you get even. I mean, don't, don't seek revenge. 
Now, again, it comes back to whether he trusts God to deal with some of these things. But I'm saying, he's not saying, okay, hit me again, hit me again, or whatever, and we just take it like doormats. No, they were using this as an excuse to harm other people who harmed them. You wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. Biblically, that's called malice. It's evil in the eyes of God, this desire to get even with people, and, and it's wrong. So the Apostle Paul talked about why this matters, though, in terms of getting revenge with people, and it comes back to a point I made earlier about trusting God. So in Romans 12, 17 to 21, Paul said, do not repay evil for evil. That's really what Jesus was talking about there. Don't repay evil for evil, that's all. Try to do what's honorable in everyone's eyes. Whatever you do about a situation with someone else, let everybody say about you, you did the honorable thing. If possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Now, there's a debate about what it means when, if you do good to the person, and it'll be like putting fiery coals on their head. You know, some people say that there was an Egyptian custom back then that someone showed penance or repentance by walking around with coals on their head, and so this would be an outward sign of repentance, that if you treat this person nicely, they'll repent. I don't think that's exactly what it's talking about. I think what it's talking about, based on the context here, is that when Christians respond in the right way and we're loving and we're kind, it accentuates the wickedness of the other person. And it may lead to repentance. That would be the best option, but it may lead to greater judgment because the contrast between the two. But let's finish off this Matthew 5 that I read a little bit earlier. He talked about, you know, someone asks for your shirt, you give them your outer garment and whatever. So let's continue reading verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Stop for a moment. But a lot of the things Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount was he was quoting things that people were saying in his day that weren't accurate. And this is one of them. In the Old Testament, it does say, love your enemy, or I'm sorry, love your neighbor. But what people did in biblical times, the religious leaders said, yeah, the Bible says love your neighbor, but you can hate everybody else. They were teaching you did not have an obligation to love Gentiles, non-Jews, or other people. You don't have to do that. And Jesus said, that's not right. So he says, you've heard love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Loving enemies, by the way, is not a feeling. It's the way you treat them. And he says, pray for those who persecute you. And it's not pray for their demise here either. Why? So that you may be like your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I mean, big deal if you love someone who's lovable and loves you back. Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Nothing. Don't even Gentiles do the same. So be perfect as your father is perfect. And again, this doesn't mean sinless. It means just complete, fully do what he's asking here. Now, I believe that God, by his grace, is able to help us do these things. But this is the way our heavenly father is because the text indicates that there are people that are good and some who are evil in the eyes of God. He causes his reign, God causes his reign to fall on the evil and the good. 
the righteous and the unrighteous. God would not have to do that. God in his justice could say, you're evil, no rain for you, no sun for you. And by the way, in the millennial kingdom, I believe that this is going to flesh out a little bit like that. There are verses that indicate in the millennial kingdom, the unrighteous will not be blessed in any way. Their crops will all wither. So you'll be able to walk by their place and say, that's an evil person. But God loves to extend kindness to the undeserving. Whether they're evil or not, it's just the love of God. And, and he is to be our example in this regard. He is to be our father in this regard. To say, well, God loves me in this way. He forgives me in this way. He does not treat me as my sins deserve. I'm so con- grateful for his kindness, his favor on my life, despite the fact they don't deserve it. And we're told, don't you give people what they deserve Treat them lovingly. Be good to those who are righteous, but also those who are unrighteous, even if they don't deserve it. And maybe God will grant them repentance. Or maybe it'll accentuate the need for judgment. So let me close with some questions by way of application. The first one is this. Just encourage you to ask yourself, am I a peacemaker? Another way to put that one, by the way, might be, am I easily triggered? If you are, you're violating the Sermon on the Mount. We're to be slow to anger. Peacemakers are not that way. Second, am I willing to overcome evil with good when I'm wronged? Maybe even think of people that have wronged you. Is there something you can do to show kindness and love to them even though they don't deserve it? Third, am I willing to love and pray for those who have wronged me? I suspect God loves that so much. When someone has wronged us, and we're praying for them when they persecute us, and, and we pray for them. When I moved here, by the way, to start the church, my boss at the company I worked, I was a supervisor at a high-tech firm in Columbus. He hated what I was doing. At the Christmas party, he announced to everyone, Tim Herring is leaving, he's put in his resignation, and he's going to start a church where they handle snakes. And he went on mocking me about it. And I said, people are going to do that. What is our prayer? May you be blessed. May you be blessed. And finally, is there someone I need to forgive? Now, in a couple weeks, I want to talk about the subject of forgiveness. But there may be some people in our lives that we need to forgive so that our relationship can be restored. Now, I think if we do these things, as the world gets worse and worse, we're going to shine as lights in this world, and, and people will wonder, and we'll point them to our Savior, to Jesus. Well, this is the way our God is and he's able to change you as well. Let's pray. Father, just as I read these things, I realize how contrary they are to just the way we do things. And yet these are life-giving words, O Lord. They are the way to live. And as our world turns more corrosive, we want to be ones, O Lord, who are are loving and forgiving and, and not treating people as they deserve because we want to be more like you, and we want to reflect these qualities to the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages, or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.